Who want to take that one? Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The word hate, although this word sometimes means total rejection of someone or something, it can, as it does in this instance, refer to something that is less loved or less liked. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he was certainly popular. In this passage, Jesus challenged those in the crowd to move from being superficial followers to become fully committed disciples. Jesus didn't issue this invitation to a select elite group. He said it to a large mass of people, ordinary people. Consider the 12 apostles who walked closely with Jesus. Nothing was special about them. They were fishermen, tax collectors, and rebels. They were ordinary people like you and me. These men had their doubts and insecurities, yet they still chose to follow Jesus. It should be encouraging to us that Jesus calls ordinary people. Disciple includes the idea of following someone, but it goes far deeper than how we typically use the word follower. A disciple wants to learn and to practice what he learns. A disciple wants to fully imitate the one he follows. Those who truly follow Jesus want to be trained by him so that they can be just like him. <clears throat> At this point, Jesus was nearing the end of his ministry, Luke 9, 51. He knew everything that was about to happen, and he challenged the disciples and followers to search deeper and be even more committed to following him. <clears throat> that challenge came with a powerful, hard-to-swallow statement. You can't beat Jesus' disciples if you do not hate parents, wife and children, brothers and sisters, your own life. That's rough. Really? Jesus wants me to hate? Hate sounds so harsh, so extreme. How do we justify this in light of the fifth <coughs> commandment to honor our fathers and mothers in Exodus 20 verse 12? Also, as we read in an earlier session, Jesus has commanded us, love your enemies, Luke 6, 27. Was Jesus now contradicting himself? We tend to use love and hate in an emotional sense, but scripture uses the words in another way. Love can mean to choose something or prefer something. <coughs> Consequently, hate can mean to reject something or to prefer something else. In that sense, Jesus calls us to choose him, to prefer him above all. It's a statement of comparison. Our love for Jesus is to be so great that by comparison, our love for others doesn't come close to the love we have for him. Jesus wants it all, our pure devotion and commitment, 100%. Following Jesus is not easy, and he asks us to do some really hard things. What does 100% commitment look like? That answer will differ for everyone, but it calls for a healthy self-evaluation. 
Do aspects of family life get in the way of your obedience to the Lord? Do you find more time to spend with friends than you find to spend with Jesus? Is there a particular area of your heart you still haven't fully committed to God? What is the last thing God asked you to do? Have you done it? In our American culture, or Bahamian culture, it's hard to be fully committed. We tend to talk a good talk, but we are easily distracted. We struggle with the thought of denying ourselves. Modern culture has even coined a term for this, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. (laughs) So much is going on around us that we can't commit to a single thing. We are worried we might miss out on something better. Jesus called for a commitment like no other, to love him so much that every other love in our lives looks like hate by comparison. It's a call for every person to bear his own cross. His disciples and followers knew exactly what that meant. To pick up a cross is to die. Jesus is quite clear about what we must do to be his disciples. We must choose him over and above everything else in life. Okay, that's a mouthful. That's powerful. Yes. Yeah. Real mouthful. Okay. Always put God first. Okay, disciple includes the idea of following someone, but it goes far deeper than how we typically use the word follower. Disciple wants to learn and to practice what he learns. A disciple wants to fully imitate the one he follows. Those who truly follow Jesus want to be trained by him so that they can be just like him. That's a disciple. Question number two. What's the difference between being a part of the crowd and a devoted disciple? Being a part of the crowd and a devoted disciple. It's like a sheep, you just go in with the flow. Yeah. Okay. And in the crowd, you just go in with the flow. You're not even okay. the own person. With the crowd, you're going with the flow. You're just following behind blindly. Okay. Remember in Jesus' ministry, there were large crowds following him. Everywhere when they large people crowds of people following to hear him preach. And at one point he he announced that he came to bring salvation rather than peace. And some people accepted the message and became followers, others didn't. And so others fell away and they stopped following him. Those who refused the message would be at odds with those who believe, even in the same family. Alright, so we see the difference there in being a follower and being a devoted disciple. A devoted disciple could accept the hard sayings of Jesus because they know it meant a lot more than what it appeared to be on the surface. Uh, the followers, not so much. Okay, to be a true disciple, there, there were some requirements uh, for becoming a disciple of Jesus. To be a true disciple meant a person would hate members of his own family. A parallel mess- passage in Matthew ten thirty seven helps us to understand that the Greek term translated hate carries the meaning of to love less. Jesus stressed a person's relation to him took precedence over any biological family relationship. 
And finally, Jesus also said, a disciple must hate his own life. Jesus considered extreme and even complete self-denial was a prerequisite for true discipleship, as mentioned in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. So what does it mean to bear one's cross? What do you think it means to bear one's cross? There are people who use expressions when they talk about an individual and say, oh boy, that's my cross. What do you think they mean? Do you have a cross? Yeah, yeah. die to yourself so that Christ lives and not my flesh. But it's willing to literally die for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And like uh, when we read that, I thought of the original readers of this portion. Mm -hmm. They knew well because they saw people Mm -hmm. like Jesus did carrying that crossbow and being nailed to a cross mm-hmm. and dying. They knew what it meant. Yeah. And some parts of the world, Christians are persecuted even yes. to death. So it's, the challenge is that it, it requires self-denial. Um, getting rid of self. And then you know that our biggest enemy is self, right? Yeah. That's our biggest enemy. Self and the, and the devil uses that to his advantage. Sometimes painful and costly consequences will be required for living a totally committed Christian life. And then sometimes we seem like we're on the fence as well. Mm-hmm. We're in the world, and then we say we're Christians, but we basically want to be a part of the world too. So we're kind of on the fence, so maybe we need to come over either side. And be committed to either side, not just be, you know. Mm-hmm. You'll go with your young non-Christian friends and they want to do, and then you'll go with the Christian friends want to do too. Yeah. You want to do both. <laughs> one put in the world and one put in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. For instance, okay. Anna, when she goes with her friends and they do ungodly stuff, she said, no, that's not how I was brought up. So she separated herself. Mm-hmm. Or at least we hope that. We don't know exactly what they do with their friends. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know what Emily does with her friends. I can't swear that she's doing what mm-hmm. she's taught to do at home. I, she tells me that that's what she does, but I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Well, she usually even the trust her. Yeah, she'll, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, but they're still teenagers. They're teenagers, though. Yeah, you weren't well, no, a teenager I, and did what you, um, the opposite of what your parents mm-hmm. told Trust me, she's one of the good okay, ones. Okay, well, everybody well, says well, I, I can't swear for my job. I'm not going to have one good child, but I don't know that for far. I'm just working. Well, the scripture says, train up a child in the way you should go. I'm saying, I am training up a child. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying I can't swear for that child. Mm-hmm. Like some people come on the TV and say, "My good son." I, I, I don't <laughs> think this is my good daughter, but mm-hmm. I, I'm not with her. Well, that's yeah. great. Well, that's that's great. Good. Parents and students. Yeah. That's great. That's great. That means I'm doing something right. That's great. One of those boys will get killed. Right? You see, three people. Uh-huh. One of them is a mother, only child. Gone at an old, old age, about a week or two, someone came in the market and was talking about, telling her about the child. And when they left, she had a nephew in there, she went to Rico and said, Rico, you never tell me this. Rico said, Annie, I can tell you because you would die. 
Why did you even believe it? You would not believe it. You would not believe it. One child. Yeah. She knew about the show. She almost died. When King gave it there that day. She gone to recruit witches in their new children and deceivers. I can say because my eldest child, Chris, I was deceived with that. I can tell you. Young people tell me. I say what to myself. I don't swear for children. I mean, okay. I, I'm praying over my children. Keep praying for them. Okay, uh, we have another passage. Uh, let's look at the other one, eight twenty-eight to thirty-three. Um, someone else want to take that one? For which of you, wanting to build a tower? Doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, "This man started to build and wasn't able to finish." Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able for ten thousand to oppose the one who comes against him with twenty thousand? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciples. Continue. When Jesus had called the, the crowd to do what Jesus. what Jesus had called the crowd to do was no easy task. To love him, to love him so much that all other love loves look like hate and to be willing to die for him. Jesus knew this would be difficult for many of them, so he, he cautioned them to think through what all that meant. In other words, he called them to count the cost of following him. To place Jesus before everyone else in our lives may not sit well with others. Family members and friends may not share our radical commitment to Christ, so we must consider what that would cost us. We might experience rejection by those closer to us, as Jesus knew firsthand. Although, at this point, he remained popular with the masses, the religious leaders that rejected his messiahship. He also knew that rejection would increase, and that the cross lay before him. He understood rejection as the rejection well, and he knew his disciples would also experience it. So Jesus calls us to count the cost. Today, throughout our world, Prosecuted churches, Christians flee their homes because they have chosen Christ and are no longer welcomed by their families as a result. Some may have merely tried to ignore by families, others have been killed. It is estimated persecution, including imprisonment, abduction, sexual assaults, and death, all because they chose to follow Jesus. One such woman found a way to a church. When her family found out that she, she was reading the Bible and praying to God, they beat her and kicked her out of the house. Mm -hmm. To her family, this was the biggest shame she would bring to their home and reputation. So she had nowhere to go, but the Lord provided a home, food, and a good paying job. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Matthew 5 and 10. In spite of all her troubles, pain, and rejection, this woman knows she is blessed in following Jesus. We also we also can know blessing in, in Jesus following, but he does want us to account the cost. A wise person always considers the total cost of constructing a home or building or other building before they started to lay the foundation. 
A vice commander always accesses his resources and weighs his strategy against the strength of his enemy. He considers all his options before committing the lives of his men in battle. Choosing to follow Jesus is not a lighthearted decision, and it should never be treated as such. If you're ready, then you must be willing to give up everything and everyone you know. You must be willing to lay down your own agenda and your own desires and pick up a cross. Amen. Amen. And some of the stories we don't hear about. That's right. That's only one of them. We don't have no what are the daily question number three? What are the daily implications of following Jesus as a devoted disciple? We heard of that woman's situation, but do we have any? What are our daily uh, uh, daily implications of following Jesus as a disciple in our part of the world, in our country, in the little Bahamas? It's only like if you're going to follow behind your non-Christian friends to me, if I go to the club or whatever, I know that that's not what I want to do, but my non-Christian friends will say, well, come, let's go to the club. Mm-hmm. Let's go to, you know, these places where, you know, it's not really conducive to what I want as a Christian. Yeah. Okay, uh, we don't have the time to do the last one because our time is gone, but uh, I'd encourage you to read that. Uh, there are a couple of, there are three points uh, in that um, passage, Luke 34 to 35, uh, and it says, Stay in fellowship with Jesus, keep your eyes on him, and your mind set in his word. This allows God to heal hurts and mend brokenness. It is when we take our eyes off the master that we lose our distinctive flavor. So the point is there is keep your flavor. Mm-hmm. And then be at peace with one another. If we are supposed to be the salt of the earth, to live a righteous life that glorifies God's kingdom, how can we be at odds with one another? Have salt, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Mark 9.50 we are to be salt, which calls for us to be gracious, loving, and hospitable, according to 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. Remember, following Jesus means taking up your cross, our cross. When we die to selfishness, we can be at peace with each other. And there's that cry, that call again to die to self. And then thirdly, be in community with other believers. Community reminds us we are not alone as believers. Following Jesus is hard, and most of all, it is likely to have had. It is likely to have had times, as I've, mm-hmm. as I've had, where do we want to keep? Where do, where do we not want to keep following, and do not want to take on another person's pain or problem? At times, I have wanted to crawl back into bed and sleep until everything and everyone was fixed. (laughs) But then I gathered with my fellow believers and prayed, and God gave, gave me the strength, courage, wisdom, energy to do what needed to be done. Keep going, no matter how hard it gets. Remember the covenant of salt, that covenant of permanent loyalty. It's not just a commitment of your loyalty to God, it's also God's commitment to you. He is with you. He loves, he restores, he strengthens you. Keep on going. Okay.
Okay, uh, let's look at live it out. How do we flesh it out? What do we do with this? Uh, being a disciple of Christ is hard. Jesus calls us to do hard things by putting ourselves aside and following him. What will you do to reflect your commitment to him? One, evaluate yourself. Do a self-evaluation. In what areas of your life is compromise evident? If you determine you have not given anything to Christ, pray and make that commitment now. And then influence others. Determine to let your conversations this week reflect your relationship with Christ. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Colossians 4, 6. Count the cost. Get involved in being salt in the community. Invest your time and energy in helping others in your community see the love and grace of Christ in you. Amen? Amen. It's a tall order, isn't it? It's very tall. But it's doable. God says do it, it can be done. Does he say it? Yeah. Amen. Okay, let's close. Father, help us to give total allegiance to you in every aspect of our lives. May our love for you supersede any other relationship in our lives in a way that would bring you great glory, honor, and praise by our obedience. Bless us now as we go into our service and we pray for every aspect of the service to have your blessing and anointing. Get glory for yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.